Acts chapter 4, verses 23 through 31. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. What's up, everybody? How are we doing today? Man, if you were there last night, if you missed it, I'm sorry you missed a great night. We had a, well over 100 people at our church picnic, and man, it was awesome. And, and man, that pulled pork. I heard somebody say they went into a pulled pork coma after the, uh, the uh, picnic last night. So great time, great family gathering. If you're a guest, we're so glad you're hanging out with us today. Um, my name is Mike. I'm one of the elders here. And I have the privilege every week to stand up here, or most weeks to stand up here and, and open the scriptures and preach the gospel to you, and so we're glad you're hanging out with us today. I would love to meet you at the end of the service if, uh, if you have a chance to do that. Um, so uh, it happened finally. Imagine this, okay? It happened. Uh, Kirk, Pastor Kirk and Pastor John were bold in their faith. That, that happens. That's true, by the way. But, but they're bold in their faith, and next thing you know, uh, a couple um, of Eureka's finest decide we don't like that, and they pick them up. And they put them in the back of a squad car and they drive away. But instead of just going to City Hall and putting them like in front of some little small court person, they drive them right down to the federal building downtown. And next thing you know, they are met by the uh, head of the FBI who flew into St. Louis to interact with Pastor Kirk and Pastor John. By the way, I chose them because I didn't want to go to jail. So Pastor Kirk and Pastor John are down at the federal building downtown. The head of the FBI flies in. They bring in the district court, the, the, the lead judge of the district court here in St. Louis. And all of a sudden, the governor and the mayor of St. Louis show up, and they begin to question Pastor Kirk and Pastor John, saying, why are you doing this? Why are you preaching in the name of Jesus? This needs to stop. We don't agree with this. We don't like this in our city. It needs to stop. And as they're sitting there, they begin to defend the faith. And part of what they say is, listen, whether it's obeying God or you, you have to decide what you would do. But for us, we can't tell anything except what we have seen and heard Christ do in our lives and the lives of those around us. And then they get this warning, a, a finger in their face and say, you must cease and desist this. We're going to let you go today. But if this continues, we're telling you the next time it is not going to go well. It's going to go sideways. And, and, and what's going to happen is when you stand before us the next time, The same thing that happened to Jesus may happen to you. Be prepared. And Pastor Kirk and Pastor John leave there, and they come home. What's next? 
or, or imagine it's you. What would you do next? Would, would, would you first contact your congressman or woman and say, wait a minute, wait a minute. I, I thought we live in a country that had free speech and I just want to let you know what just happened to me. Uh, I have my First Amendment rights, and I need to stand on those rights, and I need you to defend those rights. Would you file a, a motion, file a lawsuit in federal court to defend your First Amendment freedoms? By the way, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I'm thankful for that. There's a, a court case that was heard before the Supreme Court this very week that I'm thankful that it made it there for a, a football coach who just by himself chose to kneel at the 50-yard line at the end of the game and pray, and all of a sudden other players joined in on him, and he was fired for doing that. That is now before the Supreme Court, and it's not just his rights, it's the right for all of us in the public square to express our faith. I'm thankful to be in a country where these freedoms are, are real, but I'm just trying to paint a picture. It's not real everywhere, and it may not always be real here. So, so would you fight for your rights? Would you get a group of people and go to City Hall and picket and hold up signs would you start packing and figure out how the heck to get out of Dodge, right? I can't live here. I'm a Christian, and if I live here, I'm going to get persecuted for my faith. I've got to go find someplace where the people aren't nuts like they are in, here in our region. What would you do? The reason I raise that question is because that is the exact moment of our text today. The exact moment of our text. We're, if you've been with us, you know this. We, we are like preaching straight through the book of Acts. In Genesis, one of the things we do is most of our preaching is straight through books of the Bible. It means that we have to deal with texts and ideas when they come up. And Acts is a story. It is the story of what happened immediately after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the next 30 years. And what the story is going to tell us is that they went, the, the, the Christian movement in 30 short years went from a, a small band of 120 people to being a major movement where every major city in the whole Roman Empire had believers in Jesus and the church was growing. Uh, there were churches in every major town and it was growing like wildfire. 120 people to, to every city in the Roman Empire and, and the, the growth was exponential. And God did a miraculous thing. And so Acts is telling us this amazing story. And in the midst of this story, the first several chapters are telling us about the mother church. The first church, the first place where Christianity was birthed when the Holy Spirit came upon this small band of 120 people, they began to be witnesses in the city of Jerusalem, and the church went very quickly from a small church of 120 people. On day one, there was over 3,000 pe people who had come to faith in Jesus. Peter and J John and the apostles keep preaching. The gospel keeps spreading. This church is gathering in homes and meeting in public places. And very quickly, we found out last week that the church in just a few short months went from 120 to 3,000 to 5,000 men. They're counting heads of households. They're counting families now, not people. 5,000 families or family units are involved, are now believing in Jesus and part of the Christian church. And it's growing like crazy, but in the midst of this, what happened, uh, there was a, a moment where everything kind of got sideways because Peter and John went to the temple to pray and to worship. And as they went to the temple to pray and worship, they, they, they found a man who'd been lame from birth. He was over 40 years old. And the power of Jesus and the name of Jesus, this man was healed. 
And now he is leaping and dancing all through the city. He's in the temple praising God. All the people who saw it happen are freaking out. Everybody knew who this guy was. He was there begging for alms, begging for people to throw a few bucks in his hat all the time. So everybody who'd ever been in a temple, which was everybody in Jerusalem, knew this guy. And now this guy who was lame from birth, who never walked in his life, at the age, uh, over age 40, is now running and leaping and dancing and praising God in the temple, and they are flabbergasted. They are amazed. But that did not catch the Jewish religious leaders. This is just a few months after Jesus had been executed, and now the people who kind of instigated that see the problem. And so they arrest Peter and John after Peter and John preach in, in the temple. They arrest them, and they bring them in front of like they immediately assemble what is the Jewish Supreme Court. The leaders of this whole movement, this whole nation, uh, they bring together the high priest and the whole high priest family. They're all kind of this line of leaders who've led in the most, most important role in Jerusalem and the entire Sanhedrin, which is, is the Jewish Supreme Court. And in front of them, they, they give Peter and John an inquisition. They, they talk to, to them and challenge them, by whose name did you do this? And they say it was by the name of Jesus who you crucified, but God raised them from the dead. They just keep preaching the gospel and keep reminding them that they were involved in murdering their Messiah. And, and at the end, it tells us that, that they took notice that they were just ordinary, uneducated men, but they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But these religious rulers and leaders had a big problem. The problem was the shadow that was being cast by the man who's dancing in the temple. They could not deny that this man was raised and was walking and dancing and leaping. They could not, they could not deny the beauty of the power of God in this man's life. And they couldn't deny that Peter and John were involved in this. Even though Peter and John says it wasn't us, it was Jesus. But Jesus dead and gone, Right? And so they get to the end of this, and it tells us, the text tells us that they warned them not to speak again, to which Peter and John replied, if obeying you over God is what you would do, that's cool. You, you decide that. But for us, we cannot but testify, bear witness of what we have seen and heard. In other words, warn us all you want, we're telling people about Jesus. And then the text tells us that they sternly warned him. They gave them a, hey, we're letting you know. This is not small time that we're talking about with Peter and John. This is big time. This is in front of people who could off them right now, who could have them thrown out in the streets and stoned immediately, who could have them crucified if they wanted to go get Herod and Pontius Pilate again. And, and what, what do they do with this warning? Because it's serious now. Christianity is no longer a game. It's It's serious. And what I want you to notice that they did shows up here in, in verse, the very first verses that we read. Look at this. When they were released, they went to their friends. The, the Greek text just says their own. I'll explain who we're talking in just a minute. They went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to him. And when they heard it, they, the, they is who their friends are. All of them together lifted up their voices together to God and said. Notice that their first response was not to petition, not to complain. Like I, I would go into complaint mode. 
I would immediately start talking about how bad those people are and how they're ruining our country. And man, I would, I would try to find ways to tweet how uh, I just want, want you to know this just happened to me so the world knows. They went to their own. And, and the reference here is not just that they're like best friends. They didn't go have coffee in a coffee shop with the people they hang out with. Their own here is a reference to the community of faith that is the church. They went to their people. And they prayed. And they prayed. It, it Genesis, May, May is prayer month. Now, every time I say this, I have to pause and go, wait a minute. Every month is prayer month. But May, we have always set aside May as a month to emphasize prayer. I'm going to come back to this. We're going to do some things at the end of my sermon related to this. I love how God in his providence and in his glory has aligned our text with our emphasis this month. He, on May 1st, May is prayer month, on May 1st, he dropped this text. This is probably my favorite prayer in the Bible. And, and part of the reason it's my favorite prayer is because of the, the situation, but it's the prayer that they pray in the midst of this. Because some of us would say, oh, that's the first thing I would do. I would go pray with my peeps. I would find my people when I pray. But here's how most of us would pray. pray. Dear God, keep us safe. God, put a hedge of protection. That's the Christian way of saying it. Put a hedge of protection around me like I'm going to walk around with a bush that hides me everywhere. Don't let anything bad happen to us. That, that's how we would pray. That is not how this church prays with that threat. Title of my sermon is how to pray when we're threatened. But I, th th this goes beyond just being threatened. It goes to anything in our life that is hard and difficult. What do our prayers look like? In this moment, there is beauty in this because what happens in the text, this amazing prayer gives us a model. But to understand the model, we have to connect it to something. You see, the story starts in Acts chapter 2. And in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit comes, obviously Acts chapter 1 sets it up. Acts chapter 2, though, is when the Holy Spirit comes on the first Christians. And by the end of this chapter, you have a church of over 3,000 people. And we're told in Acts 2, and we preached this several weeks back, we are told in Acts chapter 2 what this church was doing, its activity, its, its the, the what that they were doing. And, and, and it's a real, it's like a synopsis chap, uh, uh, passage, Acts 2, 42 through 47, where it lays out all these things that the church was doing and how they were having favor in the city. The Lord was adding to their number day by day, but those were being saved. There were signs and miracles and wonders being done. And, and all these beautiful things, they were selling their goods and giving to the poor and just all this beautiful stuff that is what Christianity is supposed to look like, Right? But in the very first verse of this passage is Acts 2.42. In Acts 2.42, it says this. It says, they devoted themselves. So there's that word devoted. Devoted means, man, this is what they gave themselves to. They're not just playing around with it. They are committed to these things. The apostles' teaching, fellowship, being with the, the family of faith. This is what we did yesterday at a picnic, right? Apostles' teaching, fellowship, the breaking of bread, which in this text I believe is a reference to taking the Lord's Supper, communion, remembering the gospel tangibly in front of ourselves. And to prayer. To prayer. What Luke does, Luke is the author of Acts. 
He was a traveling companion with the Apostle Paul, who we'll learn about much later in our study. But Luke, who wrote this book and also wrote the, the Gospel of Luke before it, has this writing style where inspired by the Holy Spirit, yes, but it's a human who's writing. His writing style would be to drop things into the story, to set things a little bit later up. And, and this Acts 2.42 verse, what happens in Acts chapter 3 through about Acts chapter 8 is that the little, the devoted themselves, the apostles teaching, breaking bread, or fellowship, breaking bread and prayer, we, we begin to see the how to the what. The what is that these four things, we begin to see images of what this looks like. And so Acts, this passage in Acts, this prayer that we're reading has a direct line of connection. They have a moment where their first response when they are threatened is to pray. And we see what they pray. But understand this, there is not a moment of powerful prayer like what we have in this text without a devotion to personal and corporate prayer that is already happening. Like so many times in our lives, people, this is what, what our prayer life looks like. We have nominal prayers when we have time, we can't schedule it. The church schedules a prayer meeting and like nobody shows up. Like we'll have five or six people there or a few families in a church for like our size of over a hundred people, well over a hundred people. And we'll have a few people show up at a prayer meeting. And, and our prayer lives are just nominal in there until something happens. Crisis comes. We are threatened. Danger takes place. And then at that point, we're ready to pray. But then we read the Bible, we see these prayers that show up with all this power and show us up where, where God literally acts in ways where he is present visibly and crazy things happen. And we go, man, when, I, when we have these prayers, it, it doesn't quite look like this. And what I want you to know is Acts chapter four, this prayer here, is connected to Acts chapter two, a church who is devoted to prayer. You don't get a powerful prayer in Acts 4 without the devotion of prayer in Acts 2. They go together. It's why we need prayer month. It's why we need to remind ourselves over and over again that, listen, we need to be devoted to prayer. We need to be intentional about being a praying church and not just little, little, little bitty prayers on the side. Because what we will do is we will begin to pray and our prayers very quickly will be me-centered, person-oriented. We will, we will focus in on needs and not on glory and the way we get to Acts 4 in this prayer is by being a church that is devoted to prayer like the early church. My, my whole point of this sermon this morning from this text is to look at the church that is Genesis Church. Those of you who are part of our church family and say, listen, we need to be a church that is devoted to prayer. We have to be intentional about this. It is one of our core values. It is one of our, our driving influences we have over the years intentionally brought it, made sure our services have prayer saturation. We make sure we pray with our, our kids and our, our worship team before we start. There are lots of opportunities for you to join in the prayer. I'm begging you, help us become a praying church. And at the end of the sermon, we're going to talk about very specific ways you can do that. And so this church prays, and what floors me what floors me in this prayer is that not once, after being flat out threatened, and two of their primary leaders, two of the apostles who are two of the most important voices in Christian history, Peter and John, 
John is eventually, this John is eventually going to write uh, five books of the Bible. Peter's going to write two. Peter is going to, throughout the book of Acts, be the spokesperson. But on this day, for those people, they don't know that. As far as they know, they could preach Jesus again and be hanged on a cross or stoned in the street or just killed in some back alley. And their prayer, it, they not once say, God, keep us safe. What they pray is, God, make us bold. Make us bold. Let us not give up. How do they get there? That's what I want us to wrestle with this morning, okay? And, and, and what I w- I'll hope to point out to you this morning in this sermon is to wrestle with why the church lacks power and to challenge us towards this. Samuel Chadwick, who was a, uh, he was a Methodist minister in the 1800s, said this, there is, no, there is no power like that of prevailing prayer, of Abraham pleading for Sodom, Jacob wrestling in the stillness of the night, Moses standing in the breach, Hannah intoxicated with sorrow, David heartbroken with remorse and grief, Jesus in sweat of blood. Add to this the list from the records of the church and your, your personal observation and experience. And always there is the cost of, of passion unto blood. Such prayer prevails. It turns ordinary mortals into men of power. It brings power. It brings fire. It brings rain. It brings life. It brings God. Church of Jesus Christ. Genesis Church. Let's be a church devoted to prayer. That was a chance for an amen. So I'm going to say it again. Genesis Church, let's be a church devoted to passionate prayer. Let's do this together. This is what happens here. Let's pray down the power. Let's cry to God to do in us what nobody could do themselves, what we together couldn't do. Let's ask God to save our neighbors, to change our city. Let's beg him and plead with him to to make a difference in our nation. Let's cry out to him to look at our nation that is divided, that is like You hear people saying, we're moving to another civil war. And I don't know if that's happening, but I know it's a mess. And the only hope is the gospel. And then I look in the church and we are just as divided over politics and other stuff. Let's plead with God to bring revival and awakening, to open the hearts of people to believe, to to lead the church to repentance. Let's ask him to do what then at the end of the day we would stand in his presence and, and, and declare boldly, for the world to see, Lord, you did what only you could do. That's what happens here. And, and there are three things I, I just want to point out to you from this text that are marks of a praying people. If we devote ourselves to prayer, there are these beautiful marks that happens in this passage that we see in the prayer that are marks of a praying people. All right? Here's the first one. First mark of a praying people is a changed perspective. A changed perspective. So, so what happens in the story, just in the previous passage, the religious leaders said this. They said, it is said that they perceived that these were just mere, ordinary, uneducated men. They took note that they had been with Jesus. In other words, who are Peter and John? They're nobodies. They're, they're redneck fishermen who grew up in Galilee, who, who speak with a draw. They listen to country music. They, you know, they, 
they, they, they drive a four-wheel drive pickup, and, but nobody cares what their opinion, they, they're just nobodies. They're just ordinary people who grew up in the sticks. And here, they are in front of the most important, powerful people in all of Israel. And at this moment, I imagine they felt small. Yet, they were Jesus' disciples, but Jesus just died on the cross. And now, now they've got this problem in front of them that is massive. And how, how are they going to deal with this? Now, and, and all of a sudden, I can imagine, at least I know this, this is what I would be doing. This, would, this is what would happen in my heart, is that problem would seem massive. And often the God who I claim to worship can seem very small. This is one of our struggles. It's probably why we fail to pray very often and why we fail to run to God. Because our lives seem supreme. Our lives seem sovereign. Our struggles seem like they rule the day. And God seems very distant and very far. Uh, now, I don't know if you did this as a kid. My guess is you did. But you remember when you were growing up and you were like driving with your parents on vacation. And maybe you're headed to the mountains. And off in the distance, you get out of the car, and your parents will have this moment where they go, look, kids, the mountains. And you're seeing them for the first time. We're like, wow, but they're way off in the distance. And you're like, that mountain fits in my fingers. It is just this big. Or, or last couple summers ago, we went down to the arch, and we were like near the arch, but as we, were, we were like a few blocks away from it. We tried to take a picture of Grace and Mary doing this with the arch, right, on either side, and, and, and the arch was fitting in their hands. I, I'm a lousy photographer, didn't quite pull it off, but the idea was there, that the arch is only this big, it seems small. But then what happens is that as you move towards the arch, or when you move towards the mountain, like when you're standing at the base of the mountain, you can't do this anymore, you feel how small and insignificant you are to this huge mountain, or this, you know, when you're underneath the arch and you're looking up, you're going... Oh, this thing is gargantuan, right? You, you can't do this anymore. And what happens in the prayer is they don't start in the prayer by going, God, our problems are so great. What are we going to do? Lord, if you don't act, man, please help us. We don't want to die yet. And Peter and John are like so important, Lord. They start with worship and praise. Notice the prayer. Notice the prayer, what they say here. Their prayer looks like this. Verse uh, 24, when they had heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord who made the heavens and the earth, the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why do the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? But the king of earth set themselves and the rulers uh, were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in the city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. What they do is they begin by, by, by helping reorient their perspective. In the moment, their situation seemed insurmountable, and this band of 
of leaders seemed sovereign and supreme, and God feels very distant. But what happens when we start praying with God's people, when we are consistent, when we are modeling and understanding how prayer is supposed to work, when we are together, and, and my, I bring my, like I'm hurting, and my, my problem seems insurmountable, and you begin to pray over me, and you begin to cry out to the sovereign God who created everything. One of the things that God is always doing as we pray, and especially if we're careful to find a model for prayer in Scripture with the way we pray, is that it is like moving from the arch being like this to standing underneath the arch. Now I'm huge and the arch is small. I'm huge and the mountain is small. But when I get to the base of the mountain, when I get to the base of the arch, I'm no longer huge and the the, the structure is small. I am very small and the structure is huge. It is not that God is small. It is that our perspective, because our lives are broken and, and full of struggle, our perspective is that God is distant, he is small, he is unable. And listen to what these people pray. It's beautiful. They start just by saying, sovereign Lord. They do not go, those sovereign leaders. They say, sovereign Lord, who is the creator of heaven and earth. Like, experience your smallness sometimes by, just by going out at night and looking up at the stars and feeling the, the, the majesty. A few guys ago did a study, and I don't remember everything the study, but this is what they, they were trying to answer this question. Are there more grains of sand on the earth or stars in the universe? You know what their conclusion was? Now think of the Sahara Desert, all the beaches in the world. Their conclusion is that there's more stars in the universe than there are grains of sand on planet earth. And, and as we figure that out, we look at the universe We are one little planet next to one big star in one gargantuan universe. And they are starting by saying, Sovereign Lord who created all of that. Like just right there, all of a sudden my problem is like, oh, my life is small. It doesn't mean it's insignificant. God loves you. He is for you. This is part of the prayer. But they're looking at their God and they're making sure their perspective through their praise understands this. Did they look not only at the creator of heaven and earth, they talk about the sovereignty of God even over the, 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 the penning of the scriptures. And so what they do is they begin to pray a psalm. Uh, the, the indented portion, if you have your text open, is from Psalm chapter 2. Psalm chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, where he says, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? He, he's, they're quoting a psalm. So they have the scripture, the, the word of God in the reservoir, so that when they start praying, they start praying this psalm. And they start crying out to God through the voice of scripture. Scripture begins to frame their prayer. What we often do is we frame our prayer in our own voice with our own problems instead of starting with God's word as the foundational place of our prayers. For me personally, May is prayer month. Several years ago in prayer month, we did this little book by a guy named Don Whitney called Praying the Bible. It revolutionized my prayer life, personally revolutionized the way I pray. I used to start with, dear God, I need to say something. So my kids are, you know, they're doing okay. Help them, bless them, protect them. I I love my church, Lord, help them, bless them, protect them. I I love my parents, help them. But like, I, I, I would struggle with like, 
And all of a sudden, that just gets monotonous and boring, and I didn't know what to pray. And this book comes along, and we read it, and it's, <laughs> the book is this thick. Like, it's not a big book, but it was really simple. Buy the book and read it, but I will tell you what the whole book is. Just open the Bible and pray what, what you read. Like, start putting in your own words what you read in the Scriptures. And here they open Psalm 2, but Psalm 2 is this very specific passage that was written 1,500 or 1,200 years before their time that was about their very moment. In general, it's about any rulers and kingdoms who tried to govern and try to throw off God's people and try to persecute God's people. But in the text, there are some very specific references that are about Jesus himself. Check it out. Psalm chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying. Now, we now know that that Lord and anointed, against the Lord and against his anointed, that anointed is Jesus Christ. In fact, in the Greek text, it literally says against the Lord and against his Christos, against his Christ, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Here's what, what, what the psalmist wrote 1,500 years, that they are, the, the, the rulers of the world are going to align themselves and plot against God's anointed. And they're going to have their moment where they do something. And while all that is going, God is in heaven going, <laughs> Wait till they see what happens. <laughs> they think they're so important. Gabriel, come here, come here, come here, check this out. They think they're going to win this thing. These, these religious leaders who are messing with Jesus, they think, man, we're going to kill Jesus. That's hilarious, right? They laugh. These same rulers now have looked at Peter and John. And what happens is, the scriptures give them a place to pray that reminds them of the sovereign control of God because God already had set his king in Zion. Christ rose again, and his king had been set in Zion. So now what happens is they are praying. This prayer is not just Lord, bless, and help, and keep. They have a framework in the psalm to help them, that helps them see. It's changing their perspective to understand who God is, who they are, their moment, and even who the leaders who arrested them, that they are nothing more than than small little people and God's big plan. And and he goes on to say this. They they also, they pray the gospel. Verse 27, truly in the city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Lord, they, they were just your stooges. They, they did this in their own will and did exactly what you, before the foundation of the world, had determined would be our redemption. Now, here's, here's what's going on in this prayer. What's happening in this prayer is that they're setting their moment in light of creation, the God who created the God who gave them the scriptures and gave them a way to pray through the scriptures and the story of the gospel. So, so here, here you are and you get news. Your, your kids are hurting and they're struggling and they don't know if they believe anymore. You, you, you might have cancer. 
you could lose your job if you keep acting and, and, and responding in a way that is consistent with the scripture. My problem is massive now. And God seems very small. And the model here is worship. Let's, let's remind ourselves who God is. Let, let's run to the scriptures. Let's open the Bible and pray and interact with the scriptures and pray the scriptures. And then let's be reminded that the worst evil that ever happened was something God predestined for our redemption and salvation. And if God can pull that off, nothing that is bad that happens to me will be the final say. And it will be part of God's perfect, perfect redemptive plan, right? And all of a sudden my perspective is like moving towards that mountain where it started here and now it's here. I, I'm in the presence of Almighty God. But how do you get there? You don't get there by starting your prayer when the crisis shows up. We get there by being a people devoted to prayer, right? And so there's a change of perspective. Second thing we see in the text that is beautiful is that there is um, not only a change of perspective, but a focus on people. A focus on people. They pray for boldness, which is crazy. Why would they pray for boldness? Because they're arrogant people who want to bow their neck and say, you can't keep me from speaking. I'm going to say what I want to. That's not their motivation. That is not their motivation. Look, look at what it says in the text and what they actually pray. Verse 29. Uh, now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Why would they pray that? Why would they say, look at their threats and, and provide us boldness? And here's why. Because they know behind these people is a sinister a force that is doing all he can to keep people from trusting in Jesus. And they have lifted their chins and they have seen their neighbors in the nations. This is evident all through this text. It's evident in all of their writings. It's evident in all of their prayers. They have lifted their chins and seen their neighbors in the nations. In other words, this is what they understand. If we shut up, if this warning comes to us and we go, man, we're moving out of the city. We're giving up. We're not talking anymore. If, if we don't share the gospel, then our neighbors who are our friends, or maybe we don't even know them, but our neighbors are far from God. They are doomed to an eternity apart from Christ and to stand before God, who is a just judge, their lives are in grave danger. The solution that God has provided is the proclamation of Jesus by the church. They, they realize that there are nations who've never heard the gospel. Estimations are that uh, close to half the population of the world live in unreached people groups, around three and a half billion people who have nobody. Many of you, when you came to faith in Jesus, you came to faith in Jesus because multiple people at some point in time shared the gospel into your life. And there are three and a half billion with a B people who have nobody anywhere near them who even knows about Jesus. There are 3.5 billion people on planet earth right now who will die and go into eternity never having heard the name of Jesus. If we cower, how will they hear? Now, on one level, the answer is the sovereignty of God. He will accomplish his purpose, yes. But his means, the way he does that, is the bold witness of his people. God grant us boldness. They, they have the people that live around them, the people in the world. They have the people 
who are uh, far from Christ. They even have these people who are threatening them in view. They do not see the threats as people coming from enemies, but from people who are far from God, even though they're super religious people. They don't know Jesus. And so they don't pray for safety. Man, I, I've been on a ton of mission trips, and this is what happens. Let me tell you about a mission trip prayer. Because one mission trip prayer is every. We're getting ready to get on a plane, so what we do is we gather and pray before we leave, and moms and dads are around, and, and, and what we do, here's what we pray for. God, keep us safe, and don't let us run into anybody who might hurt us. Our mission trip prayer, we get ready to go to Charles, we get ready to go to Ecuador, it's God, make us bold. But it also should be our prayer for our neighbors in here in our city. God, make us bold. Do you pray that? Follow, if you're a follower of Jesus, do you feel, have you lifted your chin and seen the weight of your neighbors and your family members and friends and understand what's at stake? And, have you, and you're lifting your chin, have you just cried out? I know some of you are like, oh my gosh, this terrifies me. It freaks me out. Just pray it. Just see what God does. Don't, just start in the rhythm of your life. Just, God, make me bold. Make me bold. Help me figure this out. I need this prayer. You need this prayer. We all need it. Look, just make us bold. But pray like we are me-centered in our prayers. In fact, you go to most church prayer meetings, and what we find is that we will spend way more time. Most church prayer meetings are like this. First of all, most church prayer meetings I've been into, you have an hour time, you spend 50 minutes talking about what you should pray for, and five minutes actually praying. Let's take prayer requests. If somebody rambles on for 20 minutes about their big toe. Somebody else is, you know, has this this burst sack in their back, and, and they're going to tell us the whole story. And you're like, I don't want to hear this. Please stop. Where pray for my back would have been enough. And then, then what happens is you hear all these prayer requests, and we are so focused on praying. And, and then what, you, what we do is we hear all the requests, and it's like, all right, Joe, would you pray? Lord, bless all these people who had these requests. You know them all. I don't remember any of them, but you know them all, Lord. Because I didn't love them enough to write anything down. Right? But on top of that, in the church, we spend way more time praying to keep saved people out of heaven than praying to keep lost people out of hell. And that needs to change. These people do not lay their hands on Peter and John and go, Lord, don't let anything bad. They stand before God and say, God, we've been threatened. Make us bold. Why? Because we're arrogant and we're right? No, because our neighbors need Jesus Christ. God, make us bold. The third thing that happens as they pray is they experience power. I love verse 30. What do they pray? They say, Lord, as you do this, will you stretch out your hand and do signs and wonders and heal and do signs and wonders performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus? In other words, here's what they pray. They say, God, make us bold. And while we're bold, here's what we want you to do. We want you to do stuff in our city that nobody can explain. Do stuff in our city, like, like what you did with this man, where people go, holy cow, God is here. And let those things couple the witness. What, what we will pray, like the way we will pray is God perform miracles so I don't have to witness. But, but what they say is, God, 
as we're faithful, as we are praying churches, we love you, we pour out our hearts to you, and we know we've been threatened, Lord, will you, as we pray, lift you up, give us boldness, and as you give us boldness, as we go proclaiming boldness, let your spirit so fill us and empower us and work in us so that the outcome is that you start doing stuff in our city and you start doing stuff in the lives of people and you save the craziest, worst person in the town. And everybody looks and goes, Man, that dude used to be a mean, miserable cuss, and now he's, he's different. I don't know how to explain that. Do stuff in us. That, have you ever prayed for signs and wonders? If you pray this prayer, you will. Open up this prayer. Like, I pray this prayer often. It's my favorite prayer in the Bible. I pray over our church. I pray over myself. Lord, you were creator of heaven and earth. And, 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 man, the whole gospel is proof of your sovereignty. And I'm afraid to talk to my next-door neighbor. It freaks me out. Give us boldness. And as, as you give us boldness, start doing stuff in our church and in our city that the only way to explain it is that you showed up and did it. So that nobody's trying to give Mike and the elders of Genesis Church credit. That's the prayer, right? That's the prayer. And let's be devoted to that prayer. That's what Acts is getting at here. Now, May is prayer month. All right, good. And, and again, every month is prayer month, but May we set it aside. And we have a whole bunch of stuff that is designed to get us praying together, okay? We are very intentional about this in May. And we have an amazing prayer team. Now, here's per, first point of application. Some of you ought to hear the call this morning to join the prayer team. But that prayer team has an amazing, amazing leader whose name is Melissa Johnston. I just turned that sideways, so I'm going to fix this. All right. And I've invited Melissa to come up here, and we're going to talk about May and prayer month and the things that we have going on. So everybody welcome Melissa up here with us this morning. So, so let me, before I start asking her questions that I have planned for her this morning, she starts talking about it. She's going to lead us also in a prayer here in a minute. Um, let me start by saying that, first of all, this team is amazing. They are carrying out one of our core values is to be a praying church. This team is intentionally in place to make sure that we live that value out. And she's phenomenal, just so you know. She, she's a home run hitter as a leader, and I'm so thankful for her. So, uh, Thank you. <laughs> uh, so, uh, but I got some questions because I wanted you to hear from her. I could stand up here and tell you everything. You need to hear from her because she's leading out with this with her team of people. So, so first of all, um, share how being involved with the prayer team has helped you in your own personal spiritual journey. Okay, so first of all, I'm terrified. Um, but um, when Darren asked me to join the prayer team years ago, I didn't know what that entailed. I thought, okay, you know, praying, it's fine. It's not a big deal. But then when he's like, no, we're going to pray in front of the church. And I'm like, uh, what? I had never done that before. And I taught, my previous job was teaching tons of people um, finance. And I talked in front of a lot of people. But to talk in front of a church and to pray to God, like, terrified me. But I did it. And then last year when Mike asked me to take over the prayer team, I had to think about it for a couple months because it's a big job, and I didn't want to fail. Darren did an amazing job, and I thought, how am I going to um, pick up where Darren left off? Well, we did the Choosing Gratitude book last year, and it taught me that in all circumstances, 
you can pray. Like, you can stop and pray. And whether you're in, like, the, the trenches of motherhood, like I am with three little ones, or you're um, a teenager or um, a new mom or a grandmother, it, you can stop and pray for anything, and God will hear you. But you also have to remember that you can't be praying for just your, like, a me prayer, like Mike said. In James 4, it talks about praying with a purpose. It talks about praying um, that it's, that you're praying for the, a good purpose and not for things for yourself or what you want, but that you're praying for a purpose. And I take it serious, and I, I do pray that we're doing a good job and that we are leading others to pray more um, and just finding other ways to focus on prayer. And I think the Rise Up and Build campaign was an, a phenomenal way for our team to step up and pray and just to lead the church in that. And we saw what God did with that. He did an amazing, it gave us an amazing blessing with that. That's awesome. So along with that, they show up, like I said, they have people here every morning or every Sunday morning early, pray with all our leadership teams, and they lead in all the systems and all the things. And we're going to ask about some of those in a minute. Um, what are some of the purposes that the prayer team fulfills and things that you do? Um, well, like you said, we do pray every week with um, the Genesis kid leaders uh, or the teachers and then the leaders as well. We come back and pray with the band um, we are weekly posting on Koinonia a prayer for whatever, whatever has come to that person who's, who's on that week. There are seven of us on the prayer team, and whether it's a prayer from their devotion or a scripture they may have come across or just anything, um, we are posting weekly on that just to engage more people. Um, I have some notes. Um, uh, we are leading prayer for the lost, which is also part of Who's Your One. Um, each one of us knows people who are unsaved and it's important to pray for them and also hopefully lead them to Christ or lead point them in the direction to Christ. Um, another one is um, prayer breakfast. It's every quarter. This is a big one. Like Mike said, we have a very small handful that shows up for it. And as a church, we should be united in praying every day with each other, but also coming together and praying at our prayer breakfast. And um, for the different things. This month we're focusing, as prayer month, like Mike said, and we're focusing on our kids. Kids are important. We all know that. Um, not everybody has children in this church, but that's okay. You have nieces or nephews, or you have friends who have children, or we have Genesis kids in the back that we could be praying for. They're the next generation coming up behind us, and if they don't know how to pray or know what to pray for, then they're going to, we're just going to be worse than we already are. Right. That's awesome. Um, and I can tell you every week when I'm back here, my brain's busy. I am always so thankful that somebody from the prayer team steps in and leads us in prayer because I have a moment where I can get my brain silent and cry out to God mm -hmm. one more time before we start this. It's so important to me. Uh, so May is prayer month. We talked about that. And we have a lot of ways that people uh, from the church get involved. But one is that you have a book this month. And uh, tell us just a little bit about the book and how people can get it and how they can use it in their personal prayer life. So this is the book. It is five things to pray for your kids. Um, I'm going to have Mary and Grace standing at the doors over here to pass out to each family um, after church is over. And in the book, there's 21 sections, chapters, if you um, say. Um, the first one here that we're going to start with today is praying that God will save my child um, or a child you may know. And it comes with a scripture verse on each page. Um, it says, so this one is Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, where it says, for by works of righteousness. Nope, that's not right. I wrote it down. Hold on. I'm so sorry. 
Um, but Ephesians 2 says, sorry. Um, oh, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, as any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, unto good works, which God hath before ordained, that we should walk. And then, the prayer team will then lead you, there's five sections to pray over. And it breaks the scriptures down in each point. So it's, by, uh, be saved by grace, be given the gift of faith, boast in Christ alone, grow to be like Jesus, and prepared for good works. So then each day we will lead you in whatever um, day that is. And then there is only 21, but then after the 10 days we'll go back and then point out which, the, the important, not that they're not important, but the ones that meant more to us. Um, like the next one is fill my child with spiritual fruit. Um, so they have to be saved in order to have spiritual fruit. So if they're not saved, we need to be praying for those children who are unsaved. So that's perfect. We'll have that on the way out yep. for you. One per family is what we've bought for, for our church. So uh, if you want a second copy of that, um, you can get that on Amazon really cheap. But grab one per family and take that on the way out. Um, we like, we, if possible, do this with your children. You don't have to. It is praying for your children. But if they see you praying over them, it's going to yeah, mean a lot to them. Really praying good. with them at, at bedtime or not just at dinner time. Uh, you know, praying always for them. Cool. Uh, by the way, for those of you who are guests with us, Koinonia is our online community. Uh, we have an online community for our churches. They're posting. They'll be posting all this month as the prayer mm -hmm. team's been doing all the time there. Uh, and so we're thankful for that as well. Um, so you talked about pray for the lost. We talked about who's your one. Again, who's your one is an emphasis we have in our church for people in our church to focus on one person they know who's far from Christ and to be praying and thinking about how they can apply, like pray for boldness with them, right? Mm -hmm. And tonight, we very specifically have a time set aside to pray for people who are far from God in our city and our nation world. Tell us what, when that is, what that is, and how people can get involved in that tonight. Um, so praying for the lost is um, Vanita, one of the prayer team leaders, uh, prayer team leaders came up with this, that we already do in Who's Your One, and it's important to be focusing on that one person um, but also, we also, why not unite as a church and pray for those people together? So um, last month, it's always the first Sunday of each month from 4 to 5 at the church office. And just come and go. Like, you can come, pray, and then you don't have to be there the whole hour. One of us from the prayer team is always there. Um, and we're just uniting and praying for um, the lost. And we have a list that we gathered about a month two months ago, I believe, and we're praying for those. Our community group actually prays for them often. We stop and pray um, at community group uh, for those who are lost, who those who are important to our people. Um, so we'd love for as many as possible to come out and join us for that. It's an important, it's an important part of our, our jobs is to pray for those who are lost. And so you talked about the prayer breakfast. Where and when is the next one? And uh, what, what goes on there? So the prayer breakfast is every quarter. It's usually the second week, a second Saturday of every quarter um, from 9 to 10.30. We come out um, to the church office, um, and we first have breakfast together because, you know, we can't not, not do anything without breakfast first. Um, and then we, every quarter it's different. So this month we'll be focusing on um, praying for, not only for our, our, our city and our leaders and then our country as well, but we're going to focus on kids, praying for kids. So we've asked the Genesis kids leaders and I've asked Travis to get us a list of the kids that are in our church and we're going to put them on index cards and pray for them at the prayer breakfast. And then each quarter is different. Last in February we prayed, focused on um, the Rise Up and Build campaign because it had just kicked off and 
it was bitterly cold, but we had about 30 people go out to the property and prayer walk it, and mm. it was amazing. And we like, you know, we want to keep doing that. Maybe in August we'll do um, praying for this, like before school, go out to the different subdivisions and praying for when school starts or the different schools, but just different ways to come out and pray. And we like to pray for the upcoming events. Um, but again, like it's important. You can pray at your house. I get that, but when you are not united, Matthew eighteen twenty says. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there he is in the midst. So you can pray by yourself, but also it's a lot, I feel it's more filling when you pray together as a group. And that's May 14th, so grab your Google Calendar now, put it in there, 9 o'clock, and come join us, all right? Also in uh, your green folder. We, all right, so we definitely have a lot of people with a passion for prayer uh, who really, like, w- this team is a, a smaller group of people that are helping all of us pray. So all of us need to be involved what the prayer team's doing, but always need more people. So if somebody hears this and goes, you know, I, I could help with that team. Uh, I'd love to be part of what that looks like. What should they do, and, and what would that commitment look like? So we would love to have you join our team. It is, it's not a big commitment, but in a way it's like take a lot of time. You can be praying at your house. You can be praying while you're out grocery shopping. The Bible tells us to be in a state of prayer. That doesn't mean that you're praying 24-7. But that means that you're in a prayerful thought uh, always, that God is on the forefront of your mind. And to be part of the prayer team, it's, we pray weekly with Genesis Kids. We pray weekly with the worship team. We post weekly on um, Koinonia. Um, and just being part of like this prayer emphasis month, like we got together and we figured out, okay, which book we wanted to do. We went through like 10 of them before we finally decided. Um, and then um, we, we made about once a month we zoom once every other month or so or if somebody comes up we have a group text message that goes on um it's just being available to pray um we we do have the prayer same over here prayer over there that's at the end of the service and our team will be taking that over shortly and so we'd love to have more people join that um so it's not the same people and you see other other people out there praying because we all have different prayers god leads us in different ways and yes you may not want to get up and see in front of other people and pray. And it's not comfortable at times. Like, I'm never comfortable praying in front of people, but it strengthens your faith, and it grows you deeper, I feel. So we would love to join you. Come see me, um, and we can talk about what the logistics are of, of that. So one of the things that happened several years ago, somebody came up to me and said, you know, you talk about prayer. The only time you pray in a service is get yourself off the stage and the band on the stage. And I had to go repent of that, right, for real. Um, And so one of the things that we are constantly doing in our service is making sure that we have a moment where we both model a certain type of prayer, a certain way of pray, and actually lead us in prayer. And this month our prayer team is leading that. And so uh, I'm going to grab my stool and go back here so that she can lead us. But Melissa's going to lead us. In a, the rest of the month, this will be, not be during the sermon, another time during the service, but she is going to lead us in a time of prayer that is from our prayer month emphasis uh, and that is helping us focus in on praying for our kids. So lead us in that, all right? So like I said, today is um, praying for your child to be saved, that God will, that they will come to know Christ as their Savior. Um, again, this book is for all children, um, even grown children who are out of the house and they don't know God. Like, they're still important. They need to know um, Christ, and so it's, it's, um, it's important to be praying over those children. Um, and Ephesians 2, like I said, 2, 8 and through 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. It's not from us. It is from God. It's a, it's a precious gift that he gave us many years ago. Um, so I'm going <clears> to <throat> just pray over the different five points here and um, 
turn it back over to Mike. Lord, we um, just come to you today, Lord, that we know that the gift of salvation is from you and um, the death of your son, Lord, but we are just so thankful, and for that, uh, we, we can't get by on our own, and we know that. We know the importance of um, your free gift of salvation, and we ask for boldness when sharing that gospel with others, Lord, whether it's our children or our nieces or nephews or our friends' children or our um, neighbor's children, our coworkers' children, or even the children back in Genesis Kids. Lord, as we lead them, that they come to know you as your, their Savior, Lord, and that they will have the boldness that is talked about here in Acts 4. Um, we know that ultimately that we can't get to heaven by our works, Lord, that we need your gift of salvation and that we need um, to share that gospel with others, Lord. There is going to come a time where it's going to be too late and we don't want to stand before you and be ashamed of that, Lord, where we didn't express boldness to others. Lord, I ask that you just be with each child here in um, our church, whether they're in person or online, Lord, or those who are not even come yet, Lord, that we are a church that is praying for these children, that they are the next generation that comes up behind us, that they won't lose faith and they won't lose sight of you, Lord, and the ultimate gift of your salvation. Lord, I ask that you just be with each parent here as they are going through parenthood and they're teaching your, um, their children of you, Lord, that they just have the boldness to share that and the boldness to stand up for um, their faith and um, claim you as their, as, as their Savior, Lord. We just thank you so much for um, our church and the people here in our church. And I ask that you just be with us today and um, throughout this month of May as we go through this book and that we are... Um, giving our children over to you, Lord, and that we're giving them 100% over to you. We cannot do anything without you, Lord, and I ask these things in your name. Amen. This is doing a great job for us today. Thank you. Melissa, thank you so much. As the band comes up, I just want to kind of close with a couple thoughts. So we'll worship here in a minute. Uh, it, they were devoted to prayer, which led to a moment of prayer. This is what happens. The moments of prayer don't have the power if you don't start with being devoted to prayer. I want us to be a people, your elders want us to be a people who are devoted to prayer. We just gave you all kinds of ways to jump in this month and be part of that. We hope you will. We hope you will prioritize these things and be part of this. And I want you to notice what happens in verse 31. Just pay attention to it. Look at, look at it. If you, if you have your Bibles open still, look at what happens. And when they had prayed, the place which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and continue to speak the word of God with boldness. The power of God fell on them. They were filled with the Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. This is the outcome. This is God's work responding to their prayers. As they devoted to prayer, have a moment of prayer in crisis and under threat, and they cry out to God and say, God, do this work, and God answers their prayer. Oh, that he would do that for us. Oh, that he would answer our prayer, that we would cry out to him as a people, and we would see him work in us, and we would begin to see signs and wonders and miracles, our boldness, and we would see the grace of God. So I'm going to pray, and I'm going to paraphrase, but I'm going to pray this prayer over us. And then we're going to stand together, we're going to sing and celebrate, we're going to have a time of offering. If you're a guest, that is not for you. It is a chance for our people to give back because the Lord has been so good to us. And we're going to celebrate Jesus uh, together with the last couple songs. So Lord, we, we know that, that there are threats and struggles and hurts and pains in this room. But you are the sovereign Lord. 
You were the creator of heaven and earth. You made the sea and the mountains and everything that is on them and in them. And not only that, Lord, you are the one who spoke scripture into existence through, through the pen of David, through the pen of Luke. We know that our world is raging and leaders and people plot and, 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 and even our faith is being more and more pushed to the side. And, and while we, not, we are not yet under threats of persecution, we, we don't really have to worry that Pastor John and Pastor Kirk will tomorrow be arrested. That day may come, and as we walk through this, we do have moments where we're afraid of being shunned and pushed to the side. And so remind us, Lord, that you were sovereign, and your sovereignty was made known through the story of the death of Jesus, where rulers and leaders plotted to, to get rid of Jesus, but it was your sovereign predestined plan for his death for our sin. And we're thankful for that this morning. So, Lord, we pray that you would make us bold. And as we are bold, that you would start doing things in our midst, that you would bring signs and wonders, miracles, things that can only be explained that you did them. And we cry out to you. We beg you to start working in us this way. Knowing that that will bring healing to our neighbors and to the nation and uh, that, that we will see our neighbors and the nations come to faith in you. In your name I pray. Amen.